This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Seat, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Um, Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for just the opportunity to gather, to worship you, um, to see you high and lifted up, to see your goodness on display. Lord, I pray that today you create within our hearts new cravings and new desires. Or you take the cravings and desires that we have and replace them with ones of you. Um, Lord, you grow our desire even for you. Jesus, we just ask that, that you teach us and train us by the power of your word today, concert with your spirit. Trust that your spirit preach a a more profound, um, applicable second sermon than anything I could say. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. You today, you on display. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Um, Brian, I don't mean to correct you, but it's not just the morning after a football game. It's the morning after a dominating football win. University of Kentucky over those pesky Gators. So that feels good. It feels good to, to be in the spirit on campus that way, but it's better to be in the spirit of the Lord this morning. Certainly, we don't want to make an idol out of sports, but it is fun to cheer on my beloved Wildcats. Um, it's great to be together today. A lot of exciting things happening. It's kind of even great just to be uh, in October. You know, like we're, we're finally getting to fall. I'm starting to see some fall apparel you know, people committing to the plaid and the vest, even though it was still 85 degrees yesterday. I love you guys, you know. Um, it's getting there. Just usher it in. Just usher it on in with, you, with the way that, that you live. Um, we're excited to, to get into 1 Peter chapter 2 today. And uh, this, is, this, this verse comes out, you know, just kind of comes out with the bang, like right out of the gate in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, you get just this incredible exhortation. Uh, from Peter to us. And, and, and again, I want to set up in the first chapter, he, he kind of paints the picture that we are, we are exiles, that we are people that should recognize our temporary standing here uh, on, on, on earth, um, what it means to, to live in such a way that we, that we seek the welfare of, of the world around us, but at the same time live with our feet fully planted on the eternal promises that we have. He, he exhorts us in chapter one with what it means to be born again and to a living hope, what it means to, to be born of not perishable seed, but imperishable one that's undefiled and never fades and, and eternal. He talks about this abiding word of truth, the word of the gospel that can be stored into our hearts. And it's with that in mind that we get to this verse. It starts off even with so, which is a, you know kind of a fancy or, or a different way to say therefore. And if you know me at all, you know that I love when I see a therefore, to always say, what's the therefore, therefore, right? Like if that's a little, uh, a, a little language arts lesson, a vocabulary lesson for us today, grammar lesson is, what's it there for? So what, what is this so that's in, in the verse here to start off? What is it drawing to? Well, it's, it's drawing from pointing to and drawing from that reality that we've been born again into a living hope, that we, we now have a faith within us that's imperishable, unfading, um, we now have a word within us that remains forever. It's how, the, it's how Peter ends his exhortation in chapter 1. 
But let me draw your attention in this verse to three kind of imperatives or commands that, that stick out. It says that we are to put away, that we are to long for, and that we're to grow up. We're to put away, we're to long for, and we're to grow up. We'll get to the put away, but we're going to focus at first here on longing for. Actually, the, I, I love the word long for, but I want to give you maybe some synonyms for it, or the phrase long for. I want to give you some synonyms for it. It would be to desire or even to crave. Like if you read that again, like newborn infants crave the pure spiritual milk that comes from the one that nurtures you, that comes from the one that cares for you, that comes from the one that loves you, that by it you may grow up into salvation. It's hard to make someone to desire. Have you ever noticed that? It's hard to force someone else to desire something or to crave Desire has to come from within us. It, it's, it's very rarely can be, it can be stimulated externally. It almost has to, be, has to come from us internally. And we see here in this passage that, that Peter talks about clearly something would, would drive our desire. Ultimately, he gets to what drives our desire is our taste. Do you notice that? Our, our taste. Um, it, it's, it's not nutrition that drives our desire. It's our taste. Now, many of us know that hunger is maybe driven by like a sense of hunger or, 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 or an actual like bodily hunger is actually driven by a need for nutrition. You know, maybe if you've gone a long time without eating or maybe you've even done a you know, spiritual discipline like fasting and you reach um, the, the very end of it or, or whatnot and your body starts to, to hunger, that's more of a drive for nutrition. But, but craving is more of a drive for taste. You know, you think of what's the... Maybe the analogy of, of cravings that you think of. You think of maybe somebody that, that is, is withheld something from themselves, or maybe fasted or just made some life decisions and they really crave that. Or, or a lot of times the, the stereotype is women in pregnancy, right? They crave different things. They don't know what they're going to, oh, I can't believe that I want that. I can't believe that I want that taste. I can't believe that I desire that. Like there are different cravings. And most of those cravings center around taste. You know, Peter knows the passage, blessed is he who hungers and thirsts for the Lord, for they will be filled. He heard that one live, right? The Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount. He heard that one live and in person. But that's not what he alludes to here when it comes to, to longing for or craving spiritual milk. He doesn't allude to, a, to, to being nourished, although we would be. He, allude, or he exhorts us to change what we crave, that we might change what we crave or that what we desire. It's Give it a try. If, if indeed you've tasted, give it, a, give it a try. I don't know what life, if you've got kiddos, I don't know what life looks like with you and their diets. Um, for many of us, we might need a support group when it comes to that. Uh, there's sometimes easy options. There's sometimes difficult options. One thing that we've, we've tried in our family is we've tried a, a little thing called no thank you bites. And I even model those. We all model. Maria, myself, model those. We invite Gwen and Charlotte into no thank you bites. And what a no thank you bite is is an item, food item, that you would normally say no thank you to. I don't want that. We have to give it a try. You know, like, my mind's made up, I don't like that. So you would say no thank you. Okay, just, just at least got to give it a try. Um, most of the time, what we discover is that we also didn't like it and when we tried it. Okay, so I don't want to act like there's some beautiful bow we're going to tie on this. But my point is, my point is it invites them to taste and see for themselves. To not like you know, maybe in their mind, predict the outcome or, or assume or jump to a conclusion on the outcome, but to give it a try. You might like it. Your, your taste buds might fire at that, and you might be like, man, I, I want another one of those. 
I'll try my no thank you bite, and it might become a pleasing thank you bite at some point. That, that we, we want to try different things. And so, so, you know, the first one we want to look at here is that, that Peter encourages us to change what we crave. We'll get into that in a little bit more in a second. The next one is that we grow up into salvation. I want to be clear here about salvation. This is not a grow up in order to be saved. We, we have to already understand kind of his theological perspective here. In chapter one, he talks about being born again. And, and Peter probably has, a, has a more, maybe as much as any author in the gospels or any author in the Bible has a really robust understanding of I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. Kind of this three-pronged approach to our salvation. Clearly, he understands the work that's been done for us, right? He understands that we're also in process of, of being saved. He mentions we are born again into a living hope. And so this salvation that he's talking to here is not the being saved, like the, the moment of salvation, but it's the end game. It's the, I, this is the I will be saved moment. We grow up and to the point as these exiles that live here temporarily, we grow up into the eternal salvation that we are granted or given eventually. So, so if that makes sense, I just don't want to give you any theological confusion there. It's not the, the most of my point with grow up here. Um, the, the, real, the real understanding of this passage for me is to start off in chapter two here is, is Peter's commitment and his expectation and his care for our growth. He cares that we're people that grow. And I've heard it said before, well, healthy things grow. Well, you know what? Unhealthy things grow too. Cancer grows. Weeds grow. Um, bad weight grows, right? Like unhealthy things also can grow. And so it's not just an acceptable anecdote to say healthy things grow. Well, we want to make sure that the healthiest things are the one that are growing and flourishing and that the unhealthy things in our life aren't. And the truth is that there are some things in life that will absolutely stunt your growth. There are some things in your life and mine that will absolutely stunt your growth. Is it obedient, disobedient to dine on these things mentioned in verse 1? Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Is it disobedient? Yes, the Bible makes it clear that it is. But it's not just God aimlessly making rules. Ah, you don't need to do those things. It's not him aimlessly making rules. His commands, I've heard this said before, that, that God's commands should actually always be viewed as invitations to better. It's invitations to better. And what he's commanding us to do here, to put those things away, to put away envy and malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander, to put those things away, is essentially saying, stop eating from these things because they will kill you. They will destroy you. They will, it's destructive for you to be dining on that. And so it kind of begs the question for for all of us, as we go back and revisit verse 1, it kind of begs the question for all of us, what exactly are we dining on? If indeed we've tasted. What, what, what cravings do need to change in us? If this passage is an exhortation for us to long for or to crave or to desire spiritual milk, and again, those things, it's not calling you a baby Christian. It's saying like, since you've been born again, Paul, you know, Peter's like leaning into this, since you've been born again, you should crave the things of the Lord just like a newborn infant craves milk, cries out. And if you've ever been around the mom of a newborn, they know a hunger cry. They know it. It's different than an uncomfortable cry or it's different from a painful cry. It's like it's a desire for nourishment. It's a desire for, for what they long for. It's a desire for what they're craving. Without explicitly saying, Peter is, is hinting to and implying here, How's that diet of yours been treating you? 
malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander? Does it taste the way you thought it would? Now, you need, you need greater help. You need to put that stuff away. Moderation's not going to do it for you. Notice that Peter doesn't say, Man, as long as you keep a balance between your malicious thought and your blessing. You know, as long as you keep a balance between your truth-telling and your lying, as long as you keep a balance, keep it in control of your envy or your hypocrisy and your authenticity. Now, he says put that stuff fully away. It's not neutral. It's negative. It's harmful. It will kill you. Um, over the past month, uh, I have been meeting with, with a, a health coach, actually a guy named Trainer Joe. It's Paul Oligus's dad. Um, and, and it's funny, we actually hung out here on a Sunday and uh, I had, last summer, I had, I had a herniated disc in my back, and um, really over the course of four or five months of very limited to no activity, just got into a really unhealthy place, even physically, and was like, man, I need to make some changes. And my mind knew the changes I need to make, right? But my actions didn't necessarily follow. And um, even though I had all the information, I didn't really, my, my lifestyle didn't really showcase any transformation. That's also a good discipleship lesson for us, right? We can have all the information and mistransformation. And um, eventually I saw a, a reel of his on Instagram that says, you need a coach. And I was like, you know what? I do. I just need somebody. I just need somebody to tell me what's up. And, and kind of clearly what I've been doing hasn't helped the way that I thought. So I need to change. I need to change up what I'm trying. And so I've been meeting with, with trainer Joe. And, and one of the things I've really appreciated about uh, our, our time together is he is appropriate in his sensitivity and or his insensitivity. He's appropriate. There are times that he hears uh, me, my journey, kind of what, what I'm talking about with a lot of grace and understanding. And there are times that he's very direct. There are times that he says things like, Andrew, you probably didn't get unhealthy from eating lots of grilled chicken. It's probably chips. You know what? He's right. Like that might hurt your feelings a little bit. It's probably the, the cake. It's probably, the, it's probably that, you know, that might hurt your feelings a little bit, but it's like, it's not, it's not sweet peppers. It's not celery that's put you there, you know? And like, again, maybe, maybe a little harsh, but, but you might feel, think that way, but, but appropriate. And, and it would have been inappropriate for, for Peter to say something like, oh, you know, you're probably not where you are. You're, you're probably not lacking desire because you're dining on celery. You know, it's probably the other things that you need to get rid of. We've told a story here before of an Old Testament character um, that the king, King David himself, actually blessed. It's a guy named Mephibosheth. We're not going to preach that sermon today. It's, if you want to read up on it, it's housed in one chapter of the Bible in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's one of my favorite stories. But, but a quick summary is Mephibosheth was an outsider to the king and the king's family. Uh, he was a member of the former regime, so to speak. He, he was crippled, as the text points out. He was a street beggar, probably. That's kind of where, you, uh, where your mind is, is kind of trained to go with that. Um, he should have been seen as the enemy because he was of the previous regime. But because of the kindness of the king, King David, he was invited to eat at the king's table every single day of his life. The way the Bible tells the story, it's almost as if once Mephibosheth entered the palace, the dude never missed a meal. He never missed a meal. He loved being there, and he loved dining at the king's table. But I have to ask the question, from beggar on the street, crippled beggar on the street, um, 
to the palace provisions, do you think his diet changed? Do you think the scraps that he was able to scrounge up on the street were the same things that the king, that the king's you know, culinary staff offered Mephibosheth? And I bet he was not allowed to bring the things he once previously accumulated or others accumulated for him. Leftover scraps, dumpster diving. I bet he wasn't allowed to bring those things to the palace table. So what about you? You were once dead in your trespasses and sins. You were once in need of rescue and ransom. You were once lost, but now you've been born into a living hope. Chapter one, you've been born into a living hope. Your life's changed for those of you that believe in Jesus. And some of you in this room might not have put your faith and trust in Christ. You'll have the opportunity to hopefully see the, the value in that and feel the, the call on your life to give your life to Jesus. But for those of us that are Christians, we've been born again into a living hope. We've received a living and abiding and perishable and eternal word. We have the whole of the Trinity, as we talked about last week, committed to cheering us on, providing for us, protecting us, sustaining us, what do you think the food they offers, offer to us looks like? Do you think it looks like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander? Or does God's menu look a little different? We'll zoom out a little bit from 1 Peter chapter 2 to Galatians 5.22. One, one verse, that, 22 and 23, a verse that we might know that actually if, if I probably felt like it, I could call on some, some kiddos and they could sing us a song. It's for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I want you to picture those things. as things that we're meant to crave in Christ. Things that the Holy Spirit would produce a longing for, for this to be in our life. And in, in most ways, it's really a byproduct, and we'll get to that, a byproduct of what it means to, to really seek and pursue the Lord but I want you to imagine a table, if you will. A table that has love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control on it. You know, maybe even imagine what those dishes would look like if they were personified as food. You know, like a heaping pile of mashed potatoes or, you know, a nice salad or basket of bread or whatever. You know, like just kind of let your mind go there with a, a big banquet table with these things on it. And now I want to invite you to imagine another table. And I want you to look at some of the, the things that would, would, would be maybe in the shadow of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. On the other table are dishes of hate and indifference, or even indifference. Like, like, yeah, it might be as bold to say the opposite of love is hate, but it also could just be a total indifference, a, a care, almost a carelessness. Um, maybe the opposite of joy on the other table would be a dish of despair or apathy. The opposite of peace would be, you know, a dessert of unrest or worry or anxiety. You kind of see where we're going. The opposite of patience on table two would be impatient, hurried, rushed, too much to do, too little time to do it. The opposite of kindness would be demand or lack of grace, frustrated. The opposite of goodness would be that you're perpetually unsatisfied. You're always needing more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Um, you're in need of your, the, the things that are constantly, what you have of them is undesirable. You desire more. Faithfulness, the opposite of that would be to be unfaithful or to be deceitful, uh, to be moved by the wind or to be what I would call a drifter. You know, Hebrews doesn't paint drifting lightly. 
lest we, we shouldn't drift away. An unfaithful person is, is a person without an anchor. It's a person that drifts. Gentleness, the opposite of that would be to be harsh or critical. Uh, maybe, even, maybe, even masking, maybe even masking your heart with sarcasm. Um, self-control, the opposite of that, would be that your appetites drive you every way that, that you think. It's, it's you're constantly driven by an appetite or an internal desire. You're not self-controlled. You're not a temperate man or woman. You're undisciplined. Um, if we were to look at these two tables, we ask a question. Which one do you find yourself mostly dining? Which table of your life do you feel like most has more? And, and, and in most of the cases, it might even be a mixture. Like, but but here's, here's my reality. There's a lot of times that I reach past peace. I reach past peace and welcome unrest or worry or anxiety. There's a lot of times that I reach past self-control. I'll pass on that one. That's a no thank you bite. And I'll, I'll let my appetites drive me or I'll be undisciplined or, or I'll reach past gentleness into having a spirit of being harsh or even being critical. The truth is, when we understand it, and part of the reason for this exhortation in 1 Peter chapter 2 today is, is I don't think Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is, is, is pointing a finger and saying, you must remove malice and envy and, and thinks you, he, he's actually saying, there's a better way. And God in his kindness wouldn't slap your wrist as you reach for the wrong thing. God in his kindness would ex- instead exchange your fork with, with almost like the airplane game, like instead of eating that, like, like try, try this, taste and see. If indeed you've tasted and seen that he's good, try this on for size. Instead of, instead of pulling that dish to your life that, is, that you've done so frequently with, with wickedness or, or envy or jealousy or, or hatred to someone or, or you know, being false or pre- pretending, or instead of that, like try something else. If indeed you've tasted, the greatest path to dine at a new table is to taste and see it for yourself. Because so many times in my Christian life, I've noticed that I'm seated at table two and I've tried to convince myself to love the things at table one. But, but the journey to love the things in table one doesn't come from me starting to develop a taste for joy. It becomes from me starting to develop a taste for Jesus. I don't need to develop a taste for goodness and faithfulness and kindness. I need to develop a taste for Christ and for his word. And the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit within you will be cheering you on. Say yes to that bite. Say yes to to hungering and thirsting after his righteousness. Say say yes to these things and, and pursue them. Fill your cabinets with a different sustenance. Don't keep going back to the chips. That's how you got there. Like, don't keep going back to the candy bar snatch. Don't be keep going back to think of bad diet habits. Don't get, like, and don't just say, I'll have the self-discipline tonight. Get them out of your house. And so if there are things on this table that we have to do what's called the work of repentance to get them out of our house and out of our reach and to understand that when we taste, if indeed we've tasted, as, as 1 Peter 2 says, if indeed we've tasted, we see for ourselves that he's better. Remember, it's not a command that, that is intended to limit you. It's a command that's intended to invite you into seeing that he's better. His eternal word, it's better. His gospel, it's better. Understanding that he went to the cross for your sin and mine. 
understanding that, dining on that, developing a taste for that, letting, letting the Holy Spirit remind us of how good that tastes, it's better. And we might need to do work today, not just go on a spiritual diet, but to change our diets, to totally change them, to run to different things, to fill our cabinets with different substances, to pick up Christ, to take him, his word, his presence, and watch him birth joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and all that come with that in us. He wants to seat us at a different table. The psalmist writes, David actually writes in Psalm 23, he said, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. I always, always kind of thought when I read that, maybe, maybe in an earlier season of life, that this was almost like a taunt. Like God prepares a banquet for me in the presence of man. It's like, no, 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 ha, ha, you're not invited, you know. But I don't think it's that at all. I think the reality is when it would be almost like what, what is also talked about, you find it in, in Psalm 27, that though the enemy encamps around, around me, like the Lord will be my strength and my calm. And, and it's almost like the understanding of when our life is surrounded by, by things that oppose us, by things that stir us up, by things that, that we would consider enemies, um, there's almost an urgency to deal with it or an urgency to hi- or, or a desire to hide, right? There's either an urgency to fight. It's the fight or flight or desire to flee. And what the Lord says is, Actually, in the midst of the chaos, I'll prepare a table for you. And I intend for you to linger here for a while. So much so that your cup overflows. You're not on a time limit here. Spend some time. Enemies are encamped around you. But you can have a calm peace if you're dining on the things of the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 4. A well-known, a well-known phrase in the Bible that many of us have have heard, have seen, have had, probably had written to us, probably had greeting cards, like Christian Hallmark cards with this stuff in it. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I might have, this might be the biggest soapbox scripture that I have in, in all of my preaching ministry. Because I feel like a lot of people read that and they read it through a lens of permission. You know, God's going to give me what I want. God's going to give me what I want. God's going to give me what I want if I delight myself in him. The reality of this verse uh, hinges on uh, a word that's actually a name. We see it all the time uh, in, in, our, in our life. It's the word Nathan. I don't, know, I don't know if anybody in the room has maybe Nathan in their first or middle name. Um, in Hebrew, it would be Nathan. And the word Nathan means give, to give. Uh, if you've ever seen the word Jonathan, it's the God who gives, Yonathan. It's the God that gives. And Nathan, Nathan, is to give. Or... It'd be better translated to set, okay? To set. So, so if you read this verse through a different lens, delight yourselves in the Lord, and God will set the desires of your heart. Maybe try that one on for size. Not give you what you and your unredemption previously wanted, but because you find the value of the taste of the things of the Lord so treasurable and cherishable and important and and nourishing and satisfying because you find that thing, you will find that he sets for your life desires that you could never have set for yourself. And the process of doing that, the process of saying, I want to I turn away from malice and envy and slander and hypocrisy and, and, and all these things and evil. I want to turn away from that and turn to the Lord. The process of doing that is a big, a big word called repentance. And repentance doesn't start with, with someone like cattle prodding you. Repentance starts by understanding that God in his kindness invites you to taste something different. Would you take a no thank you bite today? 
Would you try something that you've never tried? Would you come and taste the goodness of God? Brian mentioned in our prayer time that, that or in our welcome time, that we have a God that invites us to come closer. And he doesn't just ask us to come closer. He asks us to come closer and taste and see that he's better. To taste and see that he really is good. So I don't know what your journey from, if we go back to the tables, I don't know what your journey from table two to table one looks like. I don't know, you know, if there's some stuff that you feel like you can immediately get out of your house. If we were to do the work of repentance, if this room were to become a place of repentance, if we were to do that work, I don't know if there's some stuff that you can immediately be like, I'm throwing that out, getting that out of my house. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But what I do know is your journey from table two or table one cannot happen unless you start exchanging your cravings for the things of the world with your craving and cherishing of Jesus. We don't get to table one by automatically having a newfound longing for faithfulness or for goodness or for peace or for joy. We get to table one by having a a reignited passion and longing and craving for Jesus and for his word. And so for us today, challenge I want to invite you into, and the response I want to invite you into, is what does repentance look like when it comes to changing, changing where you dine? And I hope that for us today, we're able to say in our lives, in our families, really, and even the legacy of faith that we leave, we have tasted and seen. Indeed, we have tasted and seen that God is certainly come to this table today. This is a, a, a symbol of even what that journey looks like. We come and we remember, remember his life, death, and resurrection. Remember his body broken and beaten, his blood shed for us that, that establishes us, but we also taste and see that he's good. And so our journey to this table is, is a confession to say the other things that I would find, try to find grace or belonging or, 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 or you know, uh, identity and those other things, they don't do for me what Jesus can do for me. And so I take and I drink, and I eat, and I remember, because he's good. He's good. And so even our coming to this table today is symbolic of what our life posture is to look like. But I just want to put in front of you, I don't know if it's a prayer you pray in your seat. I don't know if you get up here with your family and pray at the front of this that we call an altar. I don't know if it's something you talk about tonight in your home before you go to bed. But what does it look like for your diet to change? And what does it look like for you to long for the spiritual milk, the spiritual nourishment? What does it look like to crave the things that only God can give? And what does it look like for us to taste the goodness of God, the gospel of Jesus, the truth of his word, and try it, put it into place for ourselves? Certainly come to the conclusion in our testimonies that we have tasted. We are a people that have tasted, and he absolutely is good. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you for just the truth of this exhortation today. Um, God, I pray that you, you just move in our hearts, um, just the desire to, to change what we crave, and what we snack on, and what we diet on, change what we long for. Um, Lord, don't, only you can birth repentance in a, in a man or woman's heart. Only you can birth uh, us to be conformed more into the image of your son. But Lord, I pray um, that you give us the courage and the leading and the guidance to put, to take off, to put to death dishes like malice, envy, and hypocrisy, and slander, evil, Lord, and I pray that you just invite, just, just invite us again, 
Invite us again. Come taste and see that you're good. Uh, Lord, I pray that this even space that we create here, whether it's this altar or in these seats, uh, be a place where repentance happens, where people say, I want to taste you, Jesus, and I want to see for myself that you're as good as you say you are. So Lord, grant us that today. It's in your name we pray.